Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. I'm Marshall. That's Nick. You can find us at hypercleanstore.com or go over the Hyperclean Specialist Group where you can interact and learn a lot more about Hyperclean products and ask questions. You know, that is really one of the best parts of the group. We've got plenty of people go in there and ask questions. Everybody else jumps in and gives their input. You know, it, it really is awesome. But let's get into some buy and sell, Nick. I'm I'm going to sell. Right. I, I'm out. I'm, I'm selling. Well, hold on. Let me pour this horrible beer and then I'll explain about this horrible beer, about what I'm going to, uh, I can't sell this beer, but Jurassic Haze. So it's out of Arkansas, picked it up last week, Fossil Cove Brewing Company. And I love the way they do their design on their bottles. They always got cool, uh, you know, animals, cool Jurassic style, you know, a lot of that good stuff. Beer, the beer's terrible though. I'm not going to sell it. I'm not going to sell it. We only do one buy and sell here. So I'm only doing one. And I'm going to today. I'm wait, going to. Yeah, wait, you're doing I'm going two. to. What? Oh my! You you're gonna you're gonna do two, but I can't yeah. do. It. All right. Well, listen. I'm still not selling Jurassic Haze, even though it is terrible. I brought it to drink today because I didn't want to drink it at home. So I'll tell you. <laughs> I don't want to ruin my time at home. I'll let my family do that. Uh, I hear I'll you. Tell you. I'll tell you about this. So I'm selling. And I'm selling. You got to print. You got it, right? So yesterday, been waiting for the season to get started, waiting for everything to get going. Got, got the yard mode, got the dogs washed, right? Did everything I'm supposed to do. Got everything. Then it's time to start cooking. Go into my wings, right? I got to cook wings for Sunday night football. Yeah. Do a couple different ways. I try to do something new. Poured some beer in. Tried to get some beer to go down. Get that glaze. Do a beer glaze. Didn't turn out good at all. Not good at all. I'm not going to lie. I so ruined my I, Sunday night. <laughs> I grabbed some uh, seasoning we bought in Brazil, put that on there with some olive oil, threw, threw it out onto the grill, save the day, right? Save yep. the day, ready to sit down, watch the game. Mm -mm. I'm selling whoever thought it was a wise idea to put on the, the first Sunday night football, that offensive line from the Giants against the, <laughs> against the oh, Cowboys. Yeah. I, I didn't. I, I saw the like. I came downstairs. We got home late yesterday. They were beating the brakes off those. Brutal, dudes. brutal. Yeah, the NFL kind of had some blowouts yesterday, huh? The Niners yeah. blew out the Steelers. I mean, it, there was a lot of bad games. It's like college football. Fine during the regular. Don't put that as prime time. You know, <laughs> Sunday they, they night two football. Two prime time games that they just have one going on in the background, and if one's bad, they switch to the better sure. one. Sure. Come on, they could have done the the analytics to know that deep, that that offensive line sucks. They could have, yeah, right. Yeah, they, they beat the brakes off those dudes. I was talking to our new distributor out of Kansas City, and of course, he was you know having having a lot of thoughts about their game. But he said he did the same thing. He's like, dude, I couldn't watch that. He turned yeah. off the television. I'm like, me too, man. I'm selling whoever it was that chose for those two teams to line up. I mean, the Dallas off uh, defense yeah, looks I was, awesome. I was so, going to watch it. Then I had the fight recorded that I didn't get to watch on Saturday. So once that game was bad, I was like, I'll just go watch the pay-per-view that took place Saturday night. And I, I mean, you just have to have a fallback plan because there are so many of those Monday night and Sunday night football games that turn out to be duds. Like, it just, it's just crazy. You know, I guess, I mean, like you said, maybe they could do some analytics, but boy, oh boy, they do have some bad matchups. And, Can be. And that was, 
they show percentage of how far a guy throws it and the chances that someone's <laughs> going to catch. But you, you can't need to do some analytics on that Sunday night football schedule. Yeah, no, I hear you. So yeah, no, it, it was a beatdown. All right, I'm going to do a quick buy. Uh, we were in San Diego, got to do some work. You know, we had an important meeting pop up out of nowhere, went down there, did some work, but was going down there for my family. Uh, one of my kids' birthdays coming up, so we went down there. I'm going to buy horse tracks. Now, mind you, Del Mar horse track is, you know, one of the top three in the world, top three in the United States at least. It, it's a fantastic time. Like, your kids can have fun. Horses are there. You're racing. You get to gamble. So I think really underrated thing to do is, is go to the track. Now, mind you, I grew up in a small town. In my small town, we had two horse tracks. We had a harness racing and a thoroughbred racing uh, tracks. You know, thorough, thoroughbreds are way more entertaining than watching guys on carts behind the horse and harness racing. But I did grow up around it a little bit, had family members that worked in that industry. So maybe I'm a little biased, but I'm going to buy the horse track. I mean, just to gamble, have a good time, eat some food, you know, stuff for everybody to enjoy. So I'm going to buy that. I'm going to sell something. And there's going to be what? probably a, hold on. Yeah, what? I, I've, you. This is your move. I'm going to steal it, like I'll a wrestler steal, stealing a finishing move. So, of course, I had to give you. Hold on, I got to give I, you I'll, something. I'm, I'm going to bring. I'm going to bring some automotive stuff here, and I'm. I'm going to say something going to hurt some feelings. I'm sure we have some people listening in this community. RV hmm. guy. RV guy. Sign me up. Guy. I'm in. Yeah. Well, number one, you're not camping, dude. Okay? That's not camping. Taking your living room into the woods is not camping. Let me make that clear. I grew up hunting. I grew up, you know, going into the woods. Driving a huge RV into the woods is not camping. That's not camping. Stop telling yourself it is. But here's where they pissed me off. So we're driving back from San Diego, driving to San Diego, I didn't realize this, that they have to take no tests to drive these things. So evidently they think it's a sports car. If you have an RV, stay your ass in the right lane. Okay. Now you got three lanes of highway on your side, maybe get in the middle lane to pass. Okay, cool. On a two lane highway where the speed limit's 70, everybody's going 80 plus and you want to pass a slow semi so you get over going 55 miles an hour and completely bog down traffic, let me, let me explain what should happen. Very simple rules. We get to flip the RV while you're driving it. Hey, if you survive, you survive. If you don't, you don't. Like, it should just be rule. These people are, I mean, not only did you get ripped off for the RV that tells me how much of a dipshit you are, you don't go camping. You tell yourself you go camping, and then you don't know how to drive them. It, it, it's just all around a bad community. And I got family members in this community. And let me tell you, I'm firing off texts when I get home and say, hey, dude, your community of people need to get together and figure out how to drive these damn things. And they're like, oh, I don't do that. I said, I know you long enough. You absolutely do that. Everyone going 80, you get over because you're behind a slow semi. You back up traffic for miles because you can't get up to speed to pass the semi for a mile and a half. And so now everybody's cruising at 80, and you ruin everybody's day. What better solution than just I get to flip over the RV, and if you, if you and your family survive, great. If you don't, you don't. You broke the rules. But we've talked about this before. Large vehicles, semis, RVs, whatever, they never got in the left lane for years of me driving cars. 
the absolute anarchy around these things now is unbelievable to me. And so I have to sell it. Like, you got to have more respect. Like, it's unbelievable. And then you look at them, give them the evil eye, and they act like you did it wrong. Bud, I'm in an SUV going the exact miles per hour as everyone else. You're the one that wasn't. So you shouldn't get an evil buy. You shouldn't get the bird. What should you do? And that's where I come up with the rule. We get to flip your RV right there on the highway and let the chips fall where they fall. I don't know. This Mad Max type of... Uh... <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I should be something on the front of my car that allows me to do it when I go on road trips. And I only put it on during road trips. So, and then you could get like, a, what's that movie where they get the pass every once a year to, to go in and do whatever they want? Like, <laughs> you're like once a year, I just want to ram people over. It's I, like, come on, man. Listen, I don't probably seen the reels. I love the reels where people get into fights on the road. And there was a guy oh, that yeah. started mouthing off to a truck driver. I could see this, like you going up and banging on that RV and then this guy getting out with a bat, right? Yeah. And this and guy like, gets with a bat. The other dude still wants to fight him. And I'm like, uh-uh, no, you're not. And sure enough, so the guy starts wailing on him with a bat. He runs around the car, tries to come back and get him, gets plumbered again. It's like, okay, that's enough. I'm out. He yeah. goes and gets back in his or car. Or you knock on the window and Brock Lesnar gets out of his truck and you're like, oh, wow, what a big mistake this has been, right? Like, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's just, they don't have to take a test. These things are getting bigger than ever. You start putting dualies with massive fifth wheels or, or even the bigger RVs that people drive how they don't have to take driving tests, how they don't have to follow any rule. Like it's, as these have gotten more popular in my lifetime, it's completely screwed up the highway system in busy areas, right? There's a lot of guys that probably don't live in a busy area that don't see this, but when you're driving from San Diego to Vegas, you know, this is a major, you know, for people going up to Utah or for people going in different, I mean, this is a major artery and there's these, these things are just everywhere. Like they're just everywhere and it completely bogs down traffic. And it probably on a trip of about four and a half hours, which is, you know, the, the runtime, four and a half to five hours of, of drive time there. The reality is it probably bogged us down anywhere from seven to 10 times on that trip. Somebody doing that stupid of a move and uh, people are honking, people are going, cause it's just like, you know, man, Nobody was driving nuts. Nobody was going 100 and being a jerk. Everyone was going with the flow of traffic. That's kind of how that 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 pathway works. And boy, oh boy, what a mess. Well, Nick, I think you uh, probably need to learn. Remember, you used to make fun of me for sleeping on the ground. That is called camping. <laughs> what yes. they're doing is called glamping, right? <laughs> oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the new yeah. word that they give those people. Glamping. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, because you're not camping. Like, let me make it clear. It's nothing like camping. And, and, and I can't understand going into the woods and not wanting to, you know, hunt some deer or get some, I, I just don't understand any of it. Like, I, I, I just have a hard time with it. But then when you're, you take your living room into the woods, I, you know, what do you do? Sit around the campfire, chill. I, I, I'm not really banging on it. I'm just kind of asking. I'd just rather sit in my living room if that's what I'm going to do. doesn't seem like the whole camping experience to me, but not good. it's called glamping. Yeah, yeah. I got to go glamping. Yeah. All right, so let's get over to the specialist group. And uh, we, we start off here. There's a great one from Jeremy. Jeremy said he's been a fan for the podcast for many years, and he wanted to – months, apologies, months, and he trying to get some product. And I love this, right, because we encourage everybody, right? Don't 
don't just simply take the information in. There's a reason we talk about the information. It ties into the products. The products are the way to really understand how to increase your car life and how to have better car care experience. So he wanted to jump in and, and find out where a distributor is in his area. And I love this, right? So there's plenty of listeners that have sent that email in too. Hey, are you in St. Louis? Hey, are you in? And they'll throw out whatever name they want to. And you go, listen, if we're not there and there's a, a house or there's a distribution house that you go to, hey, please send us that email. Let us know who you go to, myself, Nick, or Ryan. One of us will contact them. We'll make sure you get the products that you need there at a local pickup if you don't want to order direct. So absolutely, get it from the distributors. It is much easier to just walk in and grab a product. But if we know in your local area, please reach out. We'll make sure that you do. All right, so uh, Adam, this was a fun one from Adam. Uh, Adam said that he had some questions, couldn't find them inside the group, but went onto the website and found a lot of great questions. I go, listen, Nick, you spent plenty of time, hours and hours, because this is something you specifically wanted to do. As you saw other websites, you saw the way other people were doing it, like, listen, I've got to have much more information, and you've spent a lot of time putting out. So what are some things that people want to go to the website and learn you know, it is an actual viable website now that you can learn yeah. from. Yeah. I mean, look, you and I made a decision when we revamped our website, went to hypercleanstore.com and put money in and, and started to invest is, look, is everything there? No, not, we're not there yet. But where we are is a really simple place, which is we try to write blog articles that that help explain how to clean an interior and, and, and you know, where our products fit into that and what you can do. And sometimes what we'll do is we'll transcribe our uh, podcast episodes on particular products and go and give an informative recap of our detailing deep dives and things like that, which are specific to products. And so, look, it's going to take a long time to build the library we want to build. But if you go to our blog on the website, you know, you can hit the search tab and things will come up. And maybe we haven't answered your question. So there's another great use of the email. Hey, I'd love to learn more about such and such. Can you write a blog article about it? Again, it seems really old school and it is until you need the information and you wish it were there, right? That's like one of those things that you learn as a consumer is like, there's just times you wish there were more information about XYZ, you know, product or whatever you're trying to buy across the internet. And so, yeah, we've invested sort of behind the scenes, and there's a lot of reasons for us to invest in that, uh, you know, uh, to help our brand and to help our customers. And little by little, we're trying to write more informative things. But look, writing is not the strongest thing I've ever done. It's not the strongest thing you've ever done. And, and so we're learning as we go, and we're trying to put valuable information on the back end of the website. So, you know, when you hit that search function, maybe some things will come up that can help you with your questions. Okay, so we got a good one from Dustin because Dustin's looking to put a, a vacuum into his shop, right? So if this is for guys that, that have a shop and they don't want to, guess, use the rigid or the shop vac or don't yeah. want to pull around a, a shop, shop vac anymore. I, you know, there's a lot of people that still will use roll around type vacuums. But, you know, if you want to clean up your shop, when I went into my car wash, I didn't want to have vacuums we rolled around. I didn't like the look of that. So I put in a vacuum that mounted onto the wall from a, a vacuum house, right? Somebody that sells this type of vacuum to, you know, 
multi-million dollar homes here, right? The half million dollar homes don't have central vacuum, yeah. but yeah, you know. well, whole house systems. By the way, we're actually more popular in middle-class homes when you and I were kids. There were a lot of like random houses that were $100,000 that had central vacuum systems. Uh, that was way more common when we were younger. It's kind of surprising it went away because it's super convenient. Yeah, the the ones that had the little connector like underneath, yep. uh, you know, underneath the shelf or somewhere yep. tied in down below and you never saw it until they showed it to you. Absolutely yep. right. But are you a are you a shop vac pull around or are you, are you so, looking to put in something into your shop? You know, what? Yeah, where do you we, we actually yeah, we actually have started to, you know, probably go down the vacuum aid, you know, you know, let's call it a whole house system, you know, research for the shop here. We, we've been using the rigid for as long as it's been available in my business because they have a good detailing set with the crevice tool and it's pretty robust and my, my guys can drag it around pretty easily. I think for here at the shop, just for cleanliness and not having something that we constantly have to store on the ground or in, into a cabinet, we're definitely going to go the shop vacuum route with the hose on a reel. And we're going to, we're going to definitely do that. But we, we actually just recently, let's call it within the last six weeks, started to look into that. And there's, there's a lot of reputable ones. It seems, I think this is something I, you know, I wouldn't overthink, right? Like get a get, get one that, that, that is, is obviously not the cheapest one on the market, but vacuum made and those companies have been around for decades. They have reputation, whatever, Go ahead and hook it up, but you know, don't get paralysis by analysis. Just just get a very high quality one, and it'll probably last you a long time. It will. Understand though, too, it's not Clean a set. Them out. Yeah, <laughs> bingo. It's not a set and done type of deal. Just because you paid five hundred bucks now instead of you know seventy or one hundred and fifty, uh, yeah, doesn't mean yeah. that it's just gonna run forever. No, ours still had problems. Yep. I was glad that the people we bought it from were just down the street. So I could get a repairman to come look at it. It's well, not tr a set the truth is that may be the best advice, you know, is mm -hmm. to, to check and see if you have a provider locally, because look, believe it or not, you know, the same goes for pressure washers. I see a lot of guys that go with these pressure washers that they have to service this and that. If you look at our pressure washer setup, we buy here locally uh, gas pressure washers and they service them. So everything is really on them, right? And if something goes wrong, we have to have a conversation with them. So I think your way is probably the way people should start. Maybe what, what I'll do here in Vegas is the same thing, is to talk to someone here locally that if that, something does go wrong, I will have a service provider locally to deal with it. Yeah. All right. So Justin's, this, this, is, a fun, this is a fun one because Justin wants to know, right, how much shine he can get out of Ultra Dress. It's a great question, right? Like, how much? Because, and right, he, I think he goes in to, to explain what his customer's looking for. Like, yep. hey, this is what I love about Alter Dress. If you want to service this guy that wants that high, high gloss shine, boy, go straight. I mean, it's yeah. going to be thick and it's going to be interesting, but, you know, I, you can, or you can go taper it all the way back down. Yeah. Well, I think that's what, you know, a lot of guys have not been brought into the dilutable dressing world, right? A lot of products out there are ready to use. With Ultra Dress, I would say if I wanted somebody with high shine, I'd use it straight. I wouldn't even cut it at all. I'd say one-to-one -one still going to be pretty glossy, 
you know, so you could get it. You at least can get a stretch there. Uh, two to one's a little less, three to one, a little less, four to one, a little less. You know, you start to taper it down there. You can get into some pretty matte and satin type finishes. And so I think I think for the the average person, if you're looking for glazed donut, you're really in that old school blue magic territory. Like you're looking for a really obsolete, not very, you're, you're really looking at semi-truck level shine. Like that's the way you and I would call it, I think, is is that's pretty obsolete. But ultra dress is pretty damn glossy at at straight up. Uh, the other, you know, blue magic type things, I just don't see them around as much. Maybe at car wash supplies, you know, truck supplies. Maybe some random companies make some really really high gloss glazed donut solvent based dressings. I just don't see a lot of that old school you know, stuff left over, you know, again, called blue magic, you know, when you and I came up in the world, that, that was like the, the only thing you had really, you didn't even have water-based at that point. And we can go ahead and say, right. Like if you're looking for that here within what, probably a month-ish or so, uh, we will have now, I don't think ours is this, that, that old school, right. Blue magic no. still high. We've, we've actually refined our solvent and, uh, I think we get a better look than it used to be. And listen, I'm, I'm excited about those tire shines. We'll release a quick shine and a, uh, uh and an inf infinite shine. Yeah. I think, I think the thing for our solvent based is the high gloss, like glazed donut, very few people ask for that right? That's a real specific, but there's a real need for solvent-based shine, right? Truck tires, guys that go deal with weather in the wintertime or get a lot of rain in the summer, you know, solvent's very durable, right? So your tires can, can technically look better longer with a solvent shine. So I think we're going to be more that mid-level shine with our solvent. That way it's more universal for guys, but you can also layer it, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, you could just put more on and with more uh, comes a higher shine. So yeah, I, I don't think we'll even have that glazed donut blue magic style, but we will have a solvent dressing and then we'll have a ready to use dressing uh, for those guys that just want to buy something a little bit more on the affordable end, spray it on, get the same result all the time. Don't want to deal with diluting it. So I, I think guys are going to be surprised. Those are going to be two great additives to our lineup of dressings. Yeah. Wonderful. Brian, uh, as long as UPS doesn't break my box, Right. That's how he starts. Oh, yeah. And of course, we're all there. Right. We 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 cross our fingers pretty much every time a box goes out. So, yeah. you know, we <laughs> we do our yeah. best. But, you know, he's going, hey, as long as it doesn't break and it comes in. So apparently he's had some damage before. We feel you, Brian. We feel you. But his question is revolved around glass ceramic coating. Right. And he's got to put it on his car, his dad's car, his dad's car sits out, you know. Is it really 12 to 24 hours before it can get wet? Because uh, then maybe there's rain. And, hey, is it really 12, you know, two weeks before it can get something yeah. on it because the car's going to sit out under a tree, right? Like, I listen to these questions, and, Brian, those are very great. I, I really oh, do yeah. like that you asked them because there's so much information that's been put out over the past years around ceramic coatings of these, like, hardcore fat, like, you can't do this, right? Like you can't get your car wet within 24 hours, right? You can't yep. wash it within two weeks. When, when coatings came out, there wasn't any type of gray, 
it was black and white. You had to do this exact process. And if you yep. deviated, well, the coating is going to fail, right? Oh, like yeah. gone. Like, like if it got wet before 24 hours, that coating would actually disappear from your car was, yeah. was really the, the theory that really kind of came out of that. So I can understand why Brian would ask this type of question. That is the result of having such a hardcore stance. Listen, our coatings have evolved from those long times ago. Now yeah. I would say should and could is one thing that we say yeah, yeah. a lot of times, right? Like, should you, can you type like, can it get wet? Sure. Should it? Well, you know, probably not. Yeah. You can do your best to keep it, you know, dry. Keep your best to keep it out of those environments. Yeah, I think what people that weren't dealing with coatings early on need to to kind of hear about these hard and fast rules. You were really concerned about water spotting. That was the big concern. I mean, they water spotted when they were fully cured early on. I mean, everything water spotted. And so when it was curing, it was thought that this is even more susceptible to a, a catastrophic water spotting issue. Okay. So that's where that came from. The other thing is a lot of coatings and we're seeing a lot of people still using this had a lot of, a lot of what you would call a hardener in them, right? It, it took a long time for all that cheap hardener to kind of get cured and was very inefficient there's a lot of coatings. And, and I always say this, if you see somebody doing the old, hey, look at my applicator, water won't stick to it. That's a surefire sign they're not using a modern coating. That is a lot of excess hardener on the on the pad, so to speak. And so that was a big worry. Look, in the summertime, especially things are going to cure quicker. You know, you got you got a lot of heat, you got a lot of, you know, you get it out in the sun for a couple hours, it's it's getting pretty well cured. What can happen? What can't happen? Look, all we ever tell people is get the water off there. You know, you go out in the morning, there's water on your windshield. You know, take a towel and some Eco One or take a towel and some Slick. Get it off there. You know, get it off and, and just do yourself a favor. That's all. Uh, I, I, again, can things happen? Sure, they can happen, but they can happen when it's fully cured as well. And so you're right. Coating technology has come a long way and and you have a lot of coding companies that are operating 15 years ago. I mean, it's really nutty. Uh, and, and it kind of dilutes the pool of information from the things that are going on in a modern system. Wow. Okay. Wes, Wes has a couple. I, I love Wes's, uh, Wes always has really great information to put in the specialist group. And I always oh, yeah. appreciate when he puts it in there. Listen, he, he had a customer that asked him, hey, what if I wash it and I already prep it for you, right? Like, <laughs> like Wes had a funny joke, and I love it, but I used to have plenty of people that did that. You ever have people that would bring you their car? or I would have them come by. They would drop off their car, and they're like, yeah, I went ahead and washed it for you. Great. Like, yeah. some people always I complain about that, or, oh, they wouldn't have done it right, or they're like, great, happy. Thanks for yeah. washing it. That's awesome. The big thing for me is I just never liked when somebody dropped it off excessively dirty. Exactly. Uh, you know, so if so they, if they it, knock yeah. off if they if they knock off that initial layer and I can go and do my prep a little quicker, I appreciated that. But I'm still going to do a prep. Uh, I, I was just that's just how I've always done things. I was always going to use a prep soap, or I was always going to you know clay the vehicle, or I was always going to you know do other things. So. I never had anybody drop it off and assume that they've prepped the vehicle for me, which, you know, is pretty crazy to ask somebody that's going to be detailing your car. And also here's where 
customers are extremely confused. It sounds like this one was, uh, dude, the, the prep is not the highest cost of this whole ordeal here. Like I'm going to be correcting your car. I'm going to be coding your car. There's where the cost is. You're not saving yourself tons of money. And, and, and you know, I feel bad for these customers because I think a lot of it comes from a good place. They think they're helping you out, but you don't realize you kind of look like an idiot. You know what I mean? So you kind of have that double-edged sword with them. You, 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 you like that they offered it, but you know they probably offered it to get a deal. So you don't look at them real good, real well, and you don't, don't have good feelings about the process of getting to the end, and they're going to be a happy customer. So I think it's a great thing that Wes shared it because I, I always liked when they knocked a layer of dirt off but you still have to prep the vehicle. You know, you were still going to have to do things. You were still going to have to do this. And for any customer out there listening, I know we have a lot of guys that purchase services from detailers that listen to us. The cost is in the correction and the coding. It's not in the prep service. You know, efficient prep service is not that big of a deal on a car, but you need to have it done right. Just drop your car off to a detailer and enjoy the service. That, that That's the ultimate move. Yeah, because let's say the ticket, and I'm just throwing a number out there. Let's say the ticket's 800 bucks. What you think you're going to save? What 100? Okay, so you think I charge 100 bucks to wash a car? Like, okay, 50 yeah. bucks. What are you really trying to save here? I could appreciate like you. Like, I loved it when people dropped it off. I never had anybody want a discount though. They were literally no. just doing me a favor, and I loved yeah. it. If they would have asked for a discount, that's what I would have said. Like, what? What, what do you think it's worth? Do you think, what, 25 bucks? I mean, soap on a mitt and washing your car or 100 bucks? Yeah. Like, plus where, plus, where you, we didn't, plus you didn't clay it properly. Plus yeah. you didn't do this. Plus you didn't do that. Plus you didn't do this. And it's like, hey, man, just this is, it'd be like me hiring a plumber and say, hey, I've already dismantled the whole sink. What are you going to give me for dismantling the whole sink? It's like, you just wouldn't do that. No. Right. But it again, we try to stress this. The car world is unlike anything other world in service. Like you don't go in your yard and rake half the leaves and then tell your landscaper, give me a discount like that. You know, Hey, I did half the leaves. Can you do the other half? Like you just, you just don't do that. You no. know what I'm saying? Like this is where people, and I, this is why Wes's post was so great. It's like, I just don't think people understand how out of control the car market is from dealership to service providers to everything. It's like, you have no clue how the average customer is just clueless. They just don't know what things should cost, what services should cost, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And, and that's a lot of 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 40-year-olds. We're not talking about 20-year-old kids. We're talking about just generation upon generation of clueless behavior when it comes to their car. All right. So Wes had, a, like I said, he had, he had a double. So his second one was he used Fuego. Sprayed it onto the paint, didn't have any bleeding. So he goes, great. I can go straight into washing and claying, right? So let's go through it a little bit. This is the reason why I bring this one up. I really enjoyed that he put, and he, listen, he got a lot. That was a long, he really yep. described what he was doing. And because he didn't see bleeding, Fuego is a, a decon. And yep. if there was going to be particles in the paint, it would have had this bleed, right? So that's what we're talking yeah. about. He didn't have it. So there's a theory that you can or cannot use a iron decon to clay a vehicle. You and I believe that that is not the time to use Fuego or an iron decon 
to spray onto the paint, then immediately start claying. Yep. So, but when he saw that it didn't bleed, he refoamed it and then he clayed. Yep. So let's go over that. I like that process. Good job. Yep. What if we don't have, and this would be the question, right? What would be the process if we don't have contamination on the car? We don't need Fuego. We sprayed it on there. We rinsed it off. But we're not really big on a foam cannon. We didn't wash it with a foam cannon. I can't re-foam. What would we use as our clay lube, right? I'm going with, hey, listen, just dip your mitt back in the bucket, rub it over to a surface of, you know, a panel, and then yeah, clay that it. panel. Yeah, squeeze right? out all the soap out of the mitt, out of the pad, uh, and just do it in sections like that. Then re-dip your mitt. Go ahead and squeeze it in an area. Take that soapy water and and start to clay the vehicle. Uh, I would I would say that's actually better than using a clay lube, because most of the time your clay lubes are going to contain some stuff that a soap doesn't have. Yeah. Some of those clay lubes might have something in it you don't really want to be interjecting into. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's very that's very true. So I, I look at this. It's why cleanse is built the way that it is because it's it's a true decon soap. Number one, a true decon soap to me is I can use it to clay safely, which means it has excessive lubrication in it. You could take foam wash. You could absolutely uh, you know decon with a clay uh, a clay bar, clay mitt, clay towel with with foam wash as well if that's all you had. But if you're deconing a vehicle and you're using cleanse and you don't have a foam cannon but you have it in your bucket. Hey man, take your pressure washer, foam it, refoam up that bucket again, get a lot of suds, get a lot of activation in that bucket, take your mitt out, squeeze it on half the hood, do half the hood, go back to your bucket, squeeze it on the other half, go ahead and decon that, go to your door panels, go to your fenders, make this thing easier on yourself. I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I can't remember the last time I used a clay lube. I, I, you know, whether it could even be eco one, it could be anything in our lineup. I, I just prefer that foam cannon, get it all over the car. Sometimes I'll carry the foam cannon with me. If it's hot outside, if it, if, if the, the foam is dissipating because of the heat, I'll go ahead and spray panel by panel. Boom. Spray it again. The next panel, go spray it on the next panel. Go, you know, this is, this is where we get into this thought process of, you know, it's becoming popular to see things, products like, you know, iron decons, spray it in one spot and then take your mitt and do this. It's like, okay, man, it doesn't necessarily work that way. You can absolutely do it. But when you do an iron decon, what guys have to realize is you're going to need a significant amount on the surface, no matter what somebody tries to sell you especially for those guys that are in high industrial areas. And when they spray cars with the iron decon, it's literally a white car is completely purple. So I want you to think about this logically. I take one spray, I put it on the panel and I wipe it in. I'm in a heavy iron area where when I iron decon, man, things turn bright purple all over the car. Do you really think one spray is going to iron decon a whole panel just logically? I get it, man. We all try to, to save product. We all try to cut a corner. We all have these ideas. We all hope they work. Show me that in the middle of Los Angeles. Show me that in the middle of a, you know, where there's a lot of railroads and stuff going by somebody's shop in somebody's area. That's not going to work. You can absolutely use it. There's plenty of lubrication. 
If you're in a pinch, use it. As far as best case scenario, that's not best case scenario. Yeah. All right. So, you know, I had to take my yearly visit and it wasn't to that guy. It wasn't to the one that had to put on the gloves. I'm not there yet. Gotcha. 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 Not there yet. But it was to a place that you used to wonder if somebody was going to use some lube, right? Like it was the DMV, right? The DMV over the past years inside of the car world was always the place you hate. And especially in Corona, can we remember 2020 and 21, how horrible, like, horrific the worst experience you could ever imagine then before corona was bad when corona the dmv hit it reached the all new levels that you never even want to go there so bad that they actually started making appointments and you go wait what this is an atrocity however in 23 of fall of 23 i walked in non-appointment zero people there And not only did I have one person happy to help me, they actually, since I had two cars I needed to tag because I just do them both at the same time, I got one to be done by one lady and then she passed the other one over to the other lady because that lady was so bored. They handled both of me and I was in and out in probably five minutes. And I went, wait a second, what in the world has happened to the DMV? I leave the DMV and I drive by the dealerships and I go, oh my word. I guess I hadn't been paying attention. They are slam packed. What used to be empty lots. We've got the flags back, man. We got the wavy guy. We got the lights. We got American flags back again. We didn't have American flags at dealerships for a while. Boy, howdy. We got American flags all over this place again. And they are shouting at the rooftops trying to get you to come in. I saw a 2.9% advertisement. I saw we have 450 cars on the lot. And I'm going, wow, I haven't seen that number in a couple of years. I go, yeah. wow, the car industry is continuing to flip upside down. Yeah, and I think it's so case by case, right? You go to Toyota, they have no cars. You go to Honda, they got no cars. They're, they're, they're still in a supply shortage. I talked to somebody this weekend who was really familiar with Honda and Toyota on the inside who literally told me, he goes, look, if Honda and Toyota want to ramp up production, they can't ramp up production for six months, right? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. They're two or three years into no production. Well, even when they ramp up production, if they can only do 2,000 cars, they can only do 2,000 cars a month. They can't do any more. They, they don't have the capacity. So now what you're seeing is the dichotomy between which manufacturers are actually selling a lot of cars and which manufacturers are sitting. Like Dodge right now is in a shitstorm. They literally have, I think the Dodge 1500 or 2500 is sitting on 423 days of supply. Jeep Renegade sitting on 500 and some days of supply. Like Dodge has completely botched this whole thing. Other brands, Toyota, Honda, you know, look, their, their stuff hits a lot, it's gone. Hits a lot, it's gone. But now they have a problem. Somebody wants a car, they can't get it, and they go somewhere else and they end up liking that car better, you've lost a customer for life. They may not come back to you. So there's there's an opposite side of the coin here, but there's no doubt we're seeing it here. You know, what's what's the guy's arms, the floaty guy's arms, you know, the, the guy flopping around in front of the dealership trying to get people to come in? There's going to be a lot of this, and, and I, you know, on our car episodes when we would talk about it, October, November, December is going to be very interesting for a lot of car companies 
those that need to get stuff off the lot, those that still don't have supply, those that are coming to, to, to the end of the model year, maybe they're going into a redesign on big vehicle. There's a lot of things that are happening. And I even told you, we're, we're seeing big SUVs from, from luxury brands that are going on sale, especially used ones where you're talking about 80, 90, $100,000 vehicles going for $40,000 with 20,000 miles on them. You got to think about where it's at. And you also, this is for all the people that did the smart thing and kind of waited it out and said, hey, this isn't all making sense to me. And you had a little bit of patience. You can find deals, man. The deals are out there. You know, you know that I spend a lot of time online looking for cars. And I told you about one car that I found in, in, in basically Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm like, dude, I'm about to buy this car. Large SUV, no miles, elite package on a luxury brand, and it was forty grand. It, it's like it, that may not be available for every car, and you know GT threes and elite level cars that people want a lot of. Those prices aren't really being affected. You're seeing a division in the market, and as these companies move to electric, I mean, I I just had a, a story where a guy paid one hundred fifty thousand for a Model X Plaid that now Tesla won't even give him 50 grand for. He's 100 grand upside down and within an 18, 24-month period. Mm. World changes, man. You, you can't be an idiot in the market and expect it's going to work out. And that's just not during COVID. We've watched that our whole life in cars. you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them, and a lot of people didn't know that. And, and so now you're going to have a lot of deals. I think the next six months, it's going to be a real good time to buy a vehicle you know, if your brand is one that's, you know, got a lot of stock. Now, you may not find deals on Toyotas. I don't know what's going to happen with them production-wise, but you, you'll find some deals on some good cars for sure. Okay, so then we got to have that discussion about when it's time to bring in another vehicle, right? Like, when is it the right time and what vehicle to grab, right? Because we have plenty of listeners that they've started, especially inside of our community, while others have continued to dwindle, ours is continuing to rise. Most people that have been listening to us are continuing to grow their business. So yep. we have people starting to do exactly what you're saying. Okay. Hmm. So it's the right time to start looking, right? Like we just bought another one. We, we happen to happen to get into heavier with Dodge, right? Like go well, team yeah, Dodge. Is what, there's always a deal on Dodge now. Because it was such a great deal on a caravan, right? Caravans are great vehicles to run through for your business. So, yep. you know, what vehicle do you look for if I'm a detailer and I'm wanting, whether I'm a shop guy, this is what I love specifically for the shop guy, because we have a lot of shop guys as we continue to talk about building out maintenance, building out maintenance, building out maintenance. Hmm. Well, what vehicle should I have for a mobile guy to run out and take care of maintenance customers? Dodge Caravan. Maybe it's for the guys that are mobile detailer and they're going, man, I've been in this truck. Should I buy another vehicle? What should yeah. I buy for my team so I can continue to grow? Is it a, is it a van? Is that going to be what you say that would be a great detailer? You're a truck guy, but hmm, man, yeah. is, is the van the way to go? Yeah, look, I... I if I had to do it all over again, I'd have probably done vans, but then I get told all the time that vans are less durable and there's always problems with them from every manufacturer. Nobody builds a great van, nobody this, nobody that. Look, I don't think there's a right answer to this. I think there's a couple ways to look at it. I was able to get by 
when I first started, my first two to three trucks, I didn't have, if I wasn't flipping a car for money, I didn't have an extra car. So the truck helped me, you know, kind of drive around something I liked as well as outfit it for my business without it being, a, I didn't have a, another vehicle that I drove. Did you always tunnel cover them? Yeah, I always put a tonneau cover on them. Always. I always, I, I had, uh, every one of my water tanks, I had custom built for that truck. So we can basically fit a hundred gallon flat water tank. It goes around the wheel well of that specific vehicle. So we never bought it for any of my, any of my trucks. We never bought just an off the rack, uh, off the rack water tank. We literally, you know, there's providers that'll do measurements and, and look, it's, it's more money, but allowed me put a hundred plus gallon water tank on every truck that exists from a Tundra to a Dodge Ram that I still drive around. Everything was custom fit on the water tank side. Once I custom fit the water tank, everything else fit in the back seamlessly. Then we always remove the, the, the second seats and all of the, the, the crew cabs. And so that's where we put all of our, you know, machines and store extra chemicals and towels and all that kind of stuff. So all the wet work is sort of in the, in the bed, everything that we need to protect that, that, you know, you care about your machines, whatever went into the second row of the crew cab. Some of the trucks have shelving, some of them just kind of fit perfectly and you didn't have to worry too much about them. And so I think you need to get the best deal you can get, especially when you're expanding your business. This isn't the time to go out. I see a lot of, a lot of young guys get really in debt with their vans. They, they spend a ton of money having somebody build it out. They spend a ton of money on the van. They got custom wheels. They do a full wrap. They, you look around and you go, man, I hope this works out for you, but you just dumped 60 grand into this van and I get it, man, you're making payments and you don't think it's that big of a deal. I'm not against payments, you know, especially for established shops out there. It's the smartest way to go buy something newer. You know, the position I'm in now, I'd absolutely just buy something newer than when I really acquired all my trucks. But the difference is I've kind of paid on the other end. We've had to maintain them to a certain level. We've had to repair them on a certain level. I'm paying the money regardless. When I started out, I, I was like trying to find things that cost me five, ten thousand dollars, and and I would go ahead and put all the money I needed to along the way, and hope that I could get some mileage out of them. I don't think there's a right way. I think a lot of guys take payments way too quickly. They think that's their only option. Maybe that's a sign that it's not the right time to expand into a second truck, second van, whatever. Uh, I don't want to say that definitively, though. There's a lot of guys that are making enough money that a $500 payment is, is a good investment. This is why I hate the black and white about debt. You and I have talked about this. There's good debt. There's bad debt. If you have jobs and work piling up on your back, you may have to take the debt. And it may be a good decision, but you better realize things go south. That debt's going to be there. And as long as you can kind of balance all that, I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. But we always did trucks. I, I swear I hear so many mixed things about the vans, the transit vans, the smaller vans. I hear good things. I hear horrible things. I hear this. I hear that. I probably, if I were going to start from scratch today, would buy the vans just because there's more room. But who's to say I'm right? I don't, I don't know. We, we just went in the direction that we knew best. I enjoy, you know, I, I've done both. I've done... I've done big conversion van that I joked about on the community pub. This last one, which I got from a, an old wrestler that's back in the seventies and 
listen, it still had shag carpet all over and it was painted orange because he was an OSU wrestler, right? Like I've yeah. done that. I, I enjoy, I've done the smaller vans. I've done the SV, the big Nissan van. Like I've done the vans and I've done the truck. I enjoy in the van, not having all the other, like you, you yeah. your truck, if you don't have that tunnel cover, you got stuff lying in all over the place. And I, I didn't do the tunnel covers. Um, I, and there was always crap, right? So yeah. I enjoy with the van, not having the crap blowing in. So we, we got it. I, I didn't, I didn't do the, the debt thing either. We, we wrote the check. I did the, the, the Nick, I looked at the, opened up the door. I looked at the lines. Listen, I didn't even have to look for those lines, the paint lines. I could see that, right. <laughs> We've been in it long enough. You can see orange peel that, that has been put down from a body shop. It is yep. pretty evident. If you've been in a, a detailer for a while, you can see orange peel from a body shop different than orange peel from a factory. So yep. we got a 2017. It's got over 100,000 miles on it. But listen, that engine, I didn't hear a single tick. I didn't see anything leaking. Everything looks solid on that side. But it had definitely been been in some damage. You, you could tell oh, yeah. it, it went through some crap before. So... You mentioned yeah. something a second ago that I really want to hone in back into is, you know, this debt to buying outright. When do we know if I'd still want to go back to that question? And maybe the answer is it's it's case by case basis. But yeah, I know detailers that are listening are going to go back and go, yeah, but how do I know when it's time for me to get the next vehicle? Yeah, you literally can't get to the work. Meaning you're doing 50, 60 hours a week. You've been doing it for an extended period of time, which is six months or more in my book. You're booked out eight, 12 weeks. You can't get to everybody. You start to lose work because you can't get people in. It's time to expand, right? Just like it's time to ex expand your pricing or raise your pricing is really a logical thing. You, you're constantly booked over 40 hours a week and you're starting to get a backlog. It's time to really raise your prices. The, the world the world will tell you when it's time for you to do things. And I think guys guys get two weeks backed up and they're like, oh, I need a second. I, I'm two weeks backed up because, you know, and I go, how long have you been two weeks backed up for like, uh, you know, a month? It's like, that's all right, dude. Like, you got a backlog. You should really want a month backlog if you're running a business by yourself or with a helper or whatever. You have to understand that when you're in high demand, the world's going to tell you you're in high demand because now you're booking workout six, eight, 12 weeks in advance. And that may sound good until the shit hits the fan. Then all those people start canceling on you and you lose that work. And so you don't want to carry that excessive risk of losing work for two years straight, right? You want to carry it three, six months. Okay, I got the demand. Now it's, I, I'm in a good financial position. I'm going to go ahead and add a second vehicle, go on the hiring trail. And, and look, that's going to bring its own challenges as well. This shit's not going to go smooth right out of the gate, right? You may have trouble buying the vehicle. You may have trouble outfitting the vehicle. You may have supply issues. You may have some hiring issues. The reality is you're going to be in a situation that when you expand, there's going to be a lot of things to worry about. and You got to roll with the punches. But the more of a strength you're in um, as a 
as a business, right? The, the better financial situation you're in, that's the time to expand. Bingo. Because and that's, that's, that's what I wanted to come back and say is where do we draw that line? I think that is a great, it's not a hard press line, but is that a $15,000 purchase, a $10,000 purchase, a $30,000 purchase? When do I know that this is the right financial time for me to get into buying a vehicle? I can basically just analyze, do I have, let's say if it, the van or the vehicle that I'm looking at is $15,000. Let's just throw that number out there. And I got $20,000 in the bank. Hey, well, I mean, sounds right. Mm, maybe I should build that up a little bit, huh? Maybe I should no. get that to 30000 Maybe I should start realizing, I think there's some people that will really get some value out of this lesson. It might be hard for them to understand, but what could we begin to, those of us that do want to expand, do want to, and we're just not quite sure, maybe there's something we could give up. Maybe there's something we could push back to the side so that my income that is showing in my bank account won't have a single bit of problem with me writing a $15,000, $20,000 check. It doesn't hurt what I'm going to maybe do this week or next month or anything like that. Yeah. I've got a surplus built up. So while it might be customer base, also should be, what do you have built up? Hopefully, which we've talked about, Hopefully there's some chess moves that you've done over the past. You begin to save up some money and maybe this is a good time because you're now financially ready. Yeah. And you can also be at $30,000 in your bank account and say it's a smarter thing to put 5,000 down on this and, and take a payment. There's nothing to say that there's anything wrong with that. Now you have the excess because you're going to use this excess to go uh, invest $3,000 a month into marketing and you're going to build your business through the internet and you're going to do all this internet marketing and you're going to blow your business up and you're ready to make a move. There's nothing wrong, but you can't go buy a van when you have, or you shouldn't, I guess you can do anything in the world, but I guess the, the best case scenario is don't look at 5,000 burnt $5,000 burning your hole, a hole in your pocket thinking you're going to go add a team member and a van payment and everything's going to go smoothly because five grand just doesn't go that far. Right. That's a, that's, 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 you know, six months worth of payments and that's not even your payroll and that, you know what I mean? So I, I like your idea. And again, it's all about how much you can handle debt, how much you can handle risk. Look, we know the average business owner does not handle risk very well. That's why eight out of 10 of them go out of business. So for most people, Debt can turn into a bad thing because eight out of 10 people can't handle debt. They don't know how to handle money. They don't know how to, to navigate those waters. It may not be right for you. There's two out of 10 of us that with debt, it's not a big deal. We manage it well. We're not irresponsible. We don't buy frivolous things. We don't do this. We don't do that. You got to know yourself. If you're somebody that's like, man, when I go into debt, bad things happen to me. Don't go into debt. If you're somebody that's like really responsible with money, you're great with handling debt, it, it could be a great move for you. This is where one of those things, like that's why I always kind of hate the Dave Ramsey types, whatever. It's like there's different human beings on the planet. I know guys that have billions of dollars in debt. They, they're whistling down the street. They've been wealthy for 30 years. They know how to handle debt. 
Okay. I know guys that get $15,000 in debt and all of a sudden they turn around and they haven't paid any of it off and they got $100,000 in debt just because of interest. There's different personalities out there. The more honest you are with yourself, the better adding that second vehicle or being the shop owner and adding a vehicle can be a benefit to you and not a hindrance to your business. Yeah. All right. So I saw this post the other day and I, I really enjoyed it. It's a guy that's inside of our community. We really like this guy. We respect what he does for his, uh, you know, full-time employment. I guess it kind of came on the back at the same time that, you know, we had a, a delivery driver that, you know, he was talking to me and we were discussing about what I do and, he couldn't understand why people didn't just go to car washes and get graphene put on their, their car when they went through the car wash, because, you know, he had a, uh, he had a monthly membership and he got graphene on his car whenever he wanted to hold on. Let's graphene. pause for a second, right? Let's pause for a second to appreciate all those people that switched their coding to graphene thinking they were elite and now realizing, Oh, the car wash down the street also puts graphene when somebody goes through a, as a membership car wash, let's just yeah. have a moment to celebrate that, right? Let's have a moment for all those wonderful people in the industry that thought graphene was so great. That we got they this new fall, graphene spray. They fall in line with the exact same people at the car wash, right? So this post combined with that conversation, and this post is from a guy that works at a dealership. I have a lot of respect because anybody else that's been in distribution that has gone into dealerships and been a vendor, you have a lot of respect for the people that work the service drive. That is an extremely difficult position. I find it ironic, very, very ironic, and I can understand why, that somebody in the service side would have to contact the warranty company to help fulfill something that a warranting company needed to fulfill. Why did the guy that wrote it in the finance department never, ever, finance departments never talk to the warranty company after the sale has happened? Hmm, yep. why not? Well, because we probably in the industry don't want the guy selling it to have the experience that this guy had, right? You definitely yep. don't want that guy to be jaded because he's going to look at a customer and tell him, yes, you should get this warranty. It will be covered. And then you got a yep. post where a guy that's writing service and is having to really spend hours out of his day helping, helping a customer and trying to handle this warranty company while the warranty company basically defaulted on the warranty, didn't want to give him shit for what he just put in and didn't really handle their customer. And I just go, Oh, yeah. wow. This is, this is amazing. I, and you know, service writers look are there to help you get your car serviced right? They're not there to do the wrong thing. They're, they're just inherently, that's not their job. Their job is your car has a problem. We need to get it fixed. They're also in the business. And this post does a good job. A guy that we have a lot of respect for in our community who works at a dealership and has been a detailer and he's does great work and has sanded cars and PPF cars and all those things is that he kind of paints a picture here of this customer bought a warranty and we have a fourteen or $1,500 repair here, right? And I'm calling the warranty company to get this repair okayed because it should be covered under the warranty. And the warranty company looks back at the service rider who's trying to help the customer with the car and says, yeah, we'll give you 150 bucks. You guys need to let that sink in. <laughs> the repair is $1,400. 
it's under warranty and the warranty company goes, cool, man, we'll give you 150 bucks. So what that means is the dealership's not eating that folks. The customer's eating that difference, but he paid 5,000, $7,000, for this aftermarket warranty or this new car warranty, whatever it may have been. And here's the service writer spending an hour, two hours on the phone fighting for the customer and the best he could get was $150. Now the customer is going to be really pissed with the service writer. Guess what he doesn't know? The service writer is not the guy that made the dollar amount. The service writer is not the guy that, that sold him this $10,000 warranty package. He didn't have anything to do with it. He's just the guy on the phone. He's relaying as a middleman the message between the players that have collected all the money. And he gets a salary. He doesn't get a cut of that warranty. But I think it brings to light something interesting. There's a lot of guys out there standing behind this is on your Carfax, or this is a warranty of your ceramic coating. This is how warranties are handled. I don't care if it's an appliance at your house. I don't care if it's a sprinkler system at your house. I don't care if it's a, a, a TV. I don't care if it's anything. You guys think there are 5,000 warranty companies in the world. There aren't. In the world of automotive, there's less than a handful. Everyone uses the same third-party administrator, which is a fancy term for the warranty company, to handle warranties that are supposed to be, let's call it, uh, in compliance with the federal government regulations on this. You guys have heard that before. We have federally regulated. Everyone does, dipshit. If you use a third-party administrator, they're all they all deal with staying in compliance with the federal government. And let's let's recall what a month ago, or you talked about the NADA. You know, really yeah. trying to get a lot of that stuff out of the federal government. Oh, the federal yeah, but, government was like, you can't, yeah. you can't tell us to tell the truth. I mean, it's basically what they lobbied for. Don't make us tell the truth about these products, and they won. Right? They paid enough money to the politicians. But we have guys in this industry. They're like, oh man, I. I I got this great warranty. It's transferable to people. And, it, you know, that's why I use this coding. Buddy, they're all transferable. They're all in compliance if they use a third-party administrator like we do and other coding companies do. There's a reason we tell you guys this is not the thing to promote to your customers. Because the third-party administrator is the one that's going to make the call on what they're going to do or not do. So we want you to pick up the phone or pick, write in an email or text message us and say, hey, I got a problem. It's called customer service for real, not for fake. And this service writer is, is giving you inside baseball of how this stuff works and, and guys in detailing just don't want to listen. Now, a lot of you listen and a lot of elite shops have gone away from these companies that, with this bullshit mentality and they just want a company that builds a great product. But think about how many guys talk to their customer about a warranty, never knowing that if their customer ever has to get on the phone with the warranty company, they're going to go through exactly what this service writer went through. Several hours on the phone, they're going to be given 100 bucks, 250 bucks on something they paid you $2,500 on, $2,000 on. And then to have it repaired, they're going to have to come out of pocket. Well, what do you mean? Folks, this is how this works. Would you rather Marty and I stand behind our product and tell you to call us 
or tell you to call a third-party administrator that every dealership in the world knows is a shit experience, which means for your customer and your coding, it's going to be a bad experience. What do you, what do you want to have? Like, when are guys going to start living in the real world? And let me tell you something, man. A lot of elite shops that have done a lot of business who followed this got themselves in a lot of trouble. They lost a lot of customers. We've heard the stories. My customer called this 800 number. They got furious. By the time they got to me, this happened. I should have never done this. No, man, you made a mistake. And some rectify it, and some don't. And some lose clients for life, and some don't. But some have, all of them have really pissed off clients. You know that, Marty. Name a service writer that you ever met that didn't have at least one to two people a day screaming in their face about why they're doing the right th wrong thing on, on, on their car. That's, that's why those jobs are really hard to keep people in them. They get abused and abused all day long from both angles. They didn't collect any of the money. They don't work for the warranty company. They're trying to do right by the, the customer through the warranty company, and the warranty company is in complete control. All right, so I'm a detailer, and, and I get propositioned, in a sense, to carry somebody's product that is covered under our warranty. I mean, it sounds really great, right? Like, it does sound like this is what will elevate me, and I know, 100% fact, no, as you know, because we've had the conversations with people. They yep. fully are invested into XYZ brand because XYZ brand or this other brand is Carfax is, you know, we've got a warranty, we've got all that. And it really does sound that when you bring that in to your business, I'm a small business guy, right? Quote unquote. And it gives me validity because this is what they've said to me. Well, it gives me validity to my customer that they're going to be taken care of because we have this banner. We have this plaque. We have this, you know, I went through yep. their, you know, I got their whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. Yep. And there is this belief and I, I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm speaking very plain about it because I'm not trying to, in a sense, degrade that belief. It sounds yep. really awesome. It does that. If you can have a protection for a customer and then tell the customer, oh, if the protection fails, hey, it's okay. You're going to still be covered by this piece of paper that I'm going to give you. Oh, it's yep. okay. It's not a piece of paper. We're going to do it electronically and it's just going to be tracked and you're going to be taken care of. From the outright, I want people to really please understand this. The percentage of your customers that will be quote unquote taken care of is under 1%. Yeah. And those are, those are statistics that are readily available. They have to, they have to provide these to companies like ours, right? On the back end, they got to say, what is our, uh, you know, usage rate? What is our approval rate? They got to let make that stuff public guys. We have warranty that, that backs our codings. I'm here to tell you something. It doesn't matter what contract you sign in the world. I just had a conversation, multiple conversations in the last week about this. There's a big misconception about contracts. Contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on, and I don't care how well they're written by any attorney because when the contract's broken, guess who you have to hire? An attorney to go enforce the contract. 
So you're still out more money. The contract, you don't magically waive the contract at the person in front of you go, you're breaking the contract, and they just give you money. You have to then go enforce it through an attorney, through the court of law. It takes years, takes multiple years, takes hundreds of thousands of dollars on the business side of things. Like, I don't think people understand how contracts work. And so guess what the loophole warranty companies know? You're not going to go hire an attorney and come after us. We got attorneys sitting right down the hall. That's all they do is fight you all day long. We pay them $250,000 a year. We got 12 of them. Go, you've never hired an attorney. We made a joke on this podcast a lot. When somebody says they're going to sue you, that means they've never hired an attorney. Because once you hire your first attorney, you never want to hire your second one. Okay, it's You know they have no chance of hiring an attorney. The I'm going to sue you guy has never sued anybody. Just never happens. But here's the thing. You're right. This all sounds good. Right? And guys get enamored with things that sound good. Bitcoin, 60000 a coin, and everybody buys in. And now it's 20000 it sounded good that it was going to go up forever. It didn't. Maybe it'll go back up someday, but you put in 60000 now you have twenty to show for it per, per coin. Things can sound really good. When you run a business, I don't care if it's, if, if it's a carpentry business, I don't care if it's a dealership, I don't care if it's a detail shop, a detail mobile business, the only person you can really rely on is yourself. And your customers are your customers, so you're going to have to take care of them. Now, that's where your decision to be in business with the right vendor becomes important. The minute, and the things I know of 13 years of installing ceramic coating, if a company ever in their history promoted their warranty, I couldn't run away fast enough. Because that tells me they have a bad coating. Just logic. Why would you be talking so much PPF companies that talk a lot about their warranty, I'm out. Not my thing. Why do you keep shoving the warranty down my throat? Do you not believe in what you're saying about your product? The reason we don't shove warranties down people's throats is because we believe in what we've built and overbuilt. And so we think people that put our three-year on are going to get four, three-plus years out of it, no, no questions asked. We think people that put Sparta in are going to get five-plus years, no questions asked. We're betting on ourselves. There's a lot of companies that talk all of this stuff that sounds good. It doesn't improve your business. It doesn't improve your customer experience. It doesn't improve your customer base. You don't bring in the highest quality people doing that, number one. You will never bring the highest quality individual into your business talking about warranty. It's never going to happen because nobody with money and nobody smart gives a shit about a warranty. That's a fact. No, it's like if you're getting a, a new vehicle and you go put a magnet on it. <laughs> Brutal. You really want the people that are sitting at a stoplight to look over and see a magnet and go, yeah, oh, that's cool. the kind of guy I want to detail my car. He got a magnet on his. Like, yep. Or those people that put all those words, hand waxing, car washing, polishing, and it's like 5,000 words on their tailgate. Like, man, that's a lot of words you put on your tailgate. At the end of the day, you got to ask who you want to be in business with. And I can never repeat this enough on our podcast. Customers that are into warranties and customers that want that false protection are never the highest quality individual. Your top clients you ever dealt with never brought that up once in your lifetime. Not once. You know why? They have the money. They know warranties are BS. They probably deal with them in their business somewhere along the line. 
They know it's nonsense. They can't stand them. They've had a bad experience. And as they got more and more money, they're like, dude, no way I give a rip about that. And so that's the other part is the human beings you're bringing into your business by that being a promotional tool or your bedrock of your business, you're never going to be able to re reverse the type of individuals you have in your business. Now, if you make that call, just know you're down a lane that's probably not reversible. And so you're in that lane and you got to deal with it. And there's people that do deal with it successfully. Very few. Most of the big PPF shops, most of the big tent shops, most of the big companies like mine we never bring it up. Just doesn't happen. Yeah. And so it is what it is, man. And and by the way, your customer has such a bad experience on those 800 numbers like this service per service writers described in this post. You'll never want them to call that. You'll want them to call you. So what's your what do you think you're going to call them and get a better result? No, you're going to get the same 150 bucks, 200 bucks. That's what you're going to get because they're in the business of collecting it and not paying out. Have you ever dealt with your insurance company? Not real keen on paying you out. Real keen on taking that monthly due, though. It, it's the same business model, man. They get they make money by not paying. That's just the reality of the world. Yep, absolutely. All right, man, great talk. There's a lot of good information in here. So look forward to seeing everybody next week. Thanks, everybody. See you guys.